The dream is dead. Pour one out. Grieve. Bid farewell to the chrysosance, or croissants for short, that never was. Chris Christie has dropped out of the 2024 presidential race. Christie's announcement came just hours before the final primary debate before the Iowa caucuses. But if you were expecting an endorsement, some signal from the candidate as to where Christie's supporter should redirect his vote, you will be disappointed because Christie capped off his concession with a parting shot at both of his remaining rivals in the race, all caught on a supposedly hot mic. They don't want to hear it. We know we're right, but they don't want to hear it. Right. And, and there's, you know, we couldn't have been any clearer. Right. We couldn't have been any more, any more direct or worked any harder. So, you know. Yeah. Well, when you give land to China and places like that. Yeah, that's what you get. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, she spent 68 million so far, just on TV. Spent 68 million so far, 59 million by DeSantis, and we spent 12. I mean, who's punching above their weight and who's getting a return on their investment, you know? And she's going to get smoked. And you and I both know it. She's not up to this. And she's still 20 points behind Trump in New Hampshire, right? Yeah. And, oh, yeah. And he's, gonna, he's still going to carry out, right? Yes. Oh, he's, I, t- you know, I talked to De- DeSantis called me, petrified so that I would. He's probably getting out after Iowa. Whoa, where did that tape come from? What a what an amazingly convenient leak where Christie sounds totally articulate and gets across all of the vindictive points he wants to make in the race. And then it cuts off right before he could spill a little bit of tea. And uh, in any case, Christie's not endorsing either of these people. These were tough words followed by a tough debate. So how will this major political news affect the polls which have Trump 52 points up on everyone, polls which basically haven't changed in in 17 months. They've just stayed pretty much exactly the same with the entire rest of the field combined still not equaling Trump's support. Stay tuned for the shocking answer as to how all of this will affect the race. It won't. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. I probably should have given a spoiler alert there before. I thought it was so obvious, though, that it won't. It won't affect affect anything. We'll go through the debate very briefly. Then we will get to the question that is on everyone's mind, the question that a reporter just asked Hunter Biden on Capitol Hill yesterday, namely his crack preferences. First, though, I watched the debate. There, I guess there were three debates. There are four candidates left in the race. Trump, Vivek, Ron DeSantis, and Nikki Haley. The people who qualified for the CNN debate are Chris Christie, who dropped out hours before, Nikki Haley, Ron DeSantis, and Donald Trump. Trump decided not to show up. Vivek did not qualify for the CNN debate. So Vivek said, okay, well, whatever. I'm going to go do a show with Tim Pool and Candace Owens. And my show with them is probably going to get way better ratings than the debate. And it, probably that will turn out to be true. It's certainly more interesting. Then Trump went and did his own town hall because the entire rest of the field combined still doesn't reach his poll numbers. So he says there's no reason for him to, to show up to one of these debates because it's, it's all risk. It's all downside. There's no potential upside, really. 
And that left Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley, who are now tied for number two in the race, but they're a distant number two. This is way, way far behind. They're going to either have to throw Trump into prison. Well, even that wouldn't be enough because he could still be on the ballot from prison, like Eugene Debs, the socialist candidate 100 years ago. So they'd have to kill him. So short of Donald Trump being killed or totally incapacitated, uh, these guys don't really have a, a much of a shot in the race, but they showed up anyway. Good on them. We've got the highlights. DeSantis, the top line, I think, is that DeSantis performed very well on substance. I think he won the debate on substance. I don't think he quite had the style that is persuasive to people. So I think that Nikki Haley broadly won on style, though she had a few missteps there as well. But on the substance, Ron DeSantis came locked and loaded. He hit Nikki Haley for being a squish. He said that she marched with the BLMers, and if not literally, at least in rhetoric, that she bought into the left-wing talking points of the last three, five years, and that conservatives can't trust her. Nikki Haley and I have a disagreement on the BLM stuff, too, because she tweeted during this period of time that the death of George Floyd should be, quote, personal and painful for each and every American. But people in Iowa had nothing to do with that, or Florida or South Carolina. She was virtue signaling to the left. She was accepting the narrative, uh, and she was trying to impress people who were never going to like us. I never bought in to going after the police. We back the blue to Thank the hill state DeSantis. of Florida. And we're about we're, we're lower crime as a result of Thank that. Thank you. Governor Haley? It's a good hit. It was a nice attack, especially in Iowa, which is a pretty conservative place. DeSantis then keeps it up. He hits Haley on illegal immigration. He says that immigration is one of the biggest issues for any conservative voter. And Nikki Haley cannot be trusted because she's bankrolled by the people who support mass migration. Do not trust Nikki Haley with illegal immigration. That's like having the fox guard the hen house. She's on tape at the Aspen Institute. She'll say she didn't say it. She was chastising conservatives, saying it's disrespectful to illegal aliens to say that they're criminals. They're violating the law. It's disrespectful when people come to this country illegally and impose burdens on our communities and run drugs into this country. That's what's disrespectful. She's weak on immigration. She's bankrolled by people who want open borders. And she said there shouldn't be a limit on immigration. You should work with corporate CEOs. Thanks, Governor. That is pale pastels. That Governor, is warmed thank over you so much. So, Governor Haley. You see what I'm talking about when I talk about the substance and the style. If you just read a transcript of that attack, it was basically flawless. It was, it was well-written. But when DeSantis gave it, it, it sounds kind of whiny. It sounds almost whatever the male equivalent of shrill is. Goes, That's not da 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 Can you da 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 And which is fine if he were just having an academic debate even, or if he were talking into a microphone on a podcast or a radio show, or if he were communicating with a friend over a drink. But on the presidential debate stage, it, it doesn't seem quite as persuasive. It, it doesn't seem quite as in control. And I think Nikki Haley did a great job in that regard. Nikki Haley seems in control. Even, even when DeSantis has her dead to rights on some issue, she kind of talks her way out of it. I think that helps to explain some of her rise in the polls, at least in places like New Hampshire. She overplayed one rhetorical bit a lot last night. Before the debate, her campaign had set up DeSantisLies.com. 
And it was a fine little campaign trick. So she said, oh, go to DeSantis Lies and you'll see why what he just said isn't true. But she overplayed it. I mean, she she took the, the marketing advice to just constantly be getting your brand out there way, way too far. And so virtually every answer she gave, she would just say, go to DeSantisLies.com. But that, that really wasn't that persuasive because you want your candidate to be quick on his or her feet and to be able to explain in the moment why what someone said isn't true. Uh, so, so that was a little bit of a crutch. But overall, on substance, she still seemed more in control. The one area where they, they both agreed was on Israel policy. So uh, it, it became a debate of who is more pro-Israel, who's more willing to give the Israeli government just a blank check to do whatever they want. Uh, th- the irony of this is that while Israel is currently a, a somewhat controversial issue on the right, uh, the candidates on stage were totally in lockstep. And and the only person who was even in that auditorium who was somewhat shaky on Israel was Jake Tapper. Jake Tapper, who said, would you support the mass removal of Palestinians from Gaza? And the candidates danced around the question, but they seemed to suggest, yes, they would. Uh, the takeaway from this, I think, is that no matter what kind of debates you hear breaking out in the commentariat or on Twitter or wherever, Israel's support remains very, very strong among the GOP. If these candidates thought that the the base were anti-Israel, they would have said that during the debate last night. If, if these candidates believed that going a little weaker on Israel would win them a single extra vote. They, they might have considered doing that. So it's true, the left is now totally split on Israel. The base, profoundly anti-Israel, the donor class, and the establishment, much more pro-Israel. For the GOP, though, whatever the debates are in the commentariat and online, th- that might have been the one area last night where the two of these people totally agreed. And then they made their closing statements which reminded us that we could have avoided the entire debate because their candidacies come down to really basic pitches that they've been making the whole time. Not necessarily policy. Now, when you want to talk about policy, you got to check out Policy Genius. Right now, go to policygenius.com slash Knowles. Start the new year off knowing you found the right life insurance to protect your family with Policy Genius. Policy Genius makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from top companies and find your lowest price. Their licensed agents work for you, not for the insurance companies. That means you can trust their guidance because they don't have a financial incentive to recommend one insurer over another. There are no added fees. Your personal information is kept private. It's really, really important to have life insurance. Some of us at different times have been caught in tough situations because family members I did not necessarily have life insurance, so make sure you do the responsible thing for your kids. It is super satisfying to check life insurance off that to-do list, then you don't need to think about it anymore. A good life insurance plan can give you peace of mind that if something happens to you, your family will be able to cover mortgage payments, college costs, and other expenses. Life insurance through your workplace may not offer enough protection for your family's needs. It won't follow you if you leave your job. Since life insurance typically gets more expensive as we age, now's the time to buy. Policy Genius makes the process much, much easier. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance that start at just $292 per year for $1 million worth of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Save time and money. Give your family a financial safety net with Policy Genius. PolicyGenius.com slash Knowles. 
Click the link in the description. Get your free life insurance quote. See how much you can save. PolicyGenius.com slash Knowles. Nikki Haley makes her closing statement. We can't go through another nail biter of an election. And if you look at the polls right now, going against Joe Biden in every one of those head to head polls, Ron doesn't beat Joe Biden. Trump is head to head. On a good day, he might be up by two points. I defeat Biden by 17 points. That's it. That's bigger than the presidency. That's House. That's Senate. That's governorship. That's down to school board. That's a mandate to get our spending under control and get inflation down. That's a mandate to get our kids reading again and go back to the basics in education. That's a mandate to secure our borders with no more excuses. That's a mandate to bring law and order back to our country. And that's a mandate for a strong America that we can be proud of. We can do this. I know we can do this. If you will join with me in this movement, if you join with me in this fight, I promise you our best days are to come. Okay, simple enough pitch. She says, if you talk to the consultants and you look at the polls in a general election, I trounce Joe Biden. No one else even comes close. Now, I don't think that all the polls are wrong. I think it's easy enough to skew a poll or two, especially if you're talking by five points maybe 10 points, maybe 15 points. I am persuaded by, say, the presidential nomination polls from like real clear politics because it's very difficult to skew all of the polls by 50 points. So I do think that Trump is clearly the front runner here. But why might I be a little bit skeptical of the polls that Nikki is citing here? Well, because Nikki doesn't have anywhere near the same name recognition that someone like Donald Trump does. Uh, she has not been smeared nearly as much as Trump has by the Democrats. That would happen if she if she were to win the nomination. And so I think you would see that 17-point uh, margin of victory, even if it's real. That would diminish very, very quickly the minute that the Democrats trained their guns on her and her name got out there. Maybe she would still have a better shot of beating Biden than Trump, but I'm not so sure because Nikki's pitch is, I'm the more moderate candidate. I'm the more centrist candidate. I have appeal to, to more moderate people that the current conservative wing of the GOP can't, can't win over. I don't know that the history of presidential politics bears that out. Mitt Romney made that pitch. Mitt Romney lost. John McCain made that pitch. John McCain lost. Now, you, you could say, well, they both lost to Barack Obama. He was a singular left-wing political talent, so that doesn't, that doesn't hold. Okay, what about Bob Dole? Bob Dole was pretty moderate much more moderate than other candidates in the race, and he lost to Bill Clinton. Well, Bill Clinton was kind of moderate too. Okay, uh, George H.W. Bush. George H.W. Bush was pretty moderate. He also lost to Bill Clinton. Okay, Ronald Reagan was the conservative. He ran as the conservative in that race. He won two terms. What about before that? Uh, Jerry Ford, much more moderate. Jerry Ford is a one-termer. And you, you can always point to other historical circumstances. You say, well, it's because he pardoned Nixon. Well, it's because of this. Well, it's because of that. Yeah, maybe. I just... Don't believe that the moderate pitch is what wins. On the left, too. Do you think Barack Obama ran as the moderate? He didn't. Barack Obama is the dominant Democrat politician of our lifetime. So that's her pitch. In any case, it might be persuasive to some people. Here's DeSantis's pitch. 
we have an opportunity in Monday to really change the course of history. Donald Trump's running for his issues. Uh, Nikki Haley's running for her donors' issues. I'm running for your issues, your family's issues, and solely to turn this country around. I'm the only one running that's delivered on 100% of my promises, uh, and I'm the only one running that has beaten the left time and time again, from the teachers' unions to Fauci to the Democratic Party. We need to run under the banner of bold colors that are putting the American people first. We can't run under a banner of pale pastels of the warmed over corporatism, the likes of which is practiced uh, by Nikki Haley. Okay, I I like this pitch a lot. I like this image of we need vibrant colors, not the pale pastels of warmed over corporatism. I don't know that the line works that well. It certainly speaks to me, though. I like that a lot. His initial attack is probably a pretty good framing for his campaign. He says, Trump is running for his vindictive personal issues. Nikki is running to do the bidding of her donors on Wall Street. And I'm running for you. I'm not sure that that's totally fair, by the way. I think Donald Trump has, in this way, rightly been called a populist in that he has spoken to issues that matter to the American people that have been ignored for 30 years of Republican politics. He spoke to those. Kitchen table issues. Okay, meat and potatoes issues, common sense kind of issues that were ignored by the elite class in the Beltway and on Wall Street and and in the commentary and everywhere else. Trump spoke to that. So I think it's, but it's probably a good framing. Same thing with the Nikki attack. She does the bidding of her donors. Yeah, sure, I'm sure she does. I think all politicians basically do the bidding of their donors, but they attract certain donors because they have certain views. So which is it, the chicken or the egg? DeSantis is insinuating that she's a prostitute who will do whatever to the highest paying customer. But I'm not sure of that. There are maybe not as many, but still a number of very powerful, wealthy, right-wing donors, conservative, right-wing, rock-ribbed donors who aren't giving to Nikki Haley because she's not offering them what they want. So a fine attack. It resonates for someone like me. What does it really matter, though? What does it really matter? I, I, it, was, it was a hard night, I think, for the DeSantis campaign and less so for the Haley campaign because I don't think anyone really believes that that debate is going to change anything. How, what's it going to change? Even if you're the biggest Ron DeSantis fan ever, you're the biggest Nikki Haley fan, what's that debate going to change? All of a sudden, all of a sudden, you're going to go from 17 months of polls, basically it, 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 totally even, the only thing that's changed is Trump's rivals have gone down a little bit and Trump's, Trump personally has gone up a little bit. All of a sudden, it's just going to totally flip all of the polls everywhere in the country. I just don't really buy that. If I, if I were on the DeSantis campaign, I would be disappointed because the guy's a good candidate in other years. He is, is a great governor. He's far more right-wing than a lot of politicians we've seen in recent years. But the campaign made a miscalculation and they ran against a guy who whose popularity they underestimated, the loyalty of whose base they underestimated, and who's running effectively as an incumbent, even though he doesn't, he's not technically an incumbent, but practically he is, and a popular incumbent at that. So Trump doesn't even show up. He goes and does a town hall separately with Brett Baer and Martha McCallum. And just to twist the knife in the other campaigns, he floats a little bit of juicy tea. Who would be in the running for vice president? Well, I can't tell you that, really. I mean, I know 
who it's going to be. Give us a hint. I'll give you. We'll do another show sometime. Well, what about any of the people who you've run against? Would you be open to mending fences with oh, any sure, of them? Oh, sure, I will. I will. I've already started like Christy better. Uh, <laughs> Christy, Christy for vice president. I don't, I don't see it. I don't see it. That would be an upset. Christy for vice president. You know, Ladies I, and gentlemen, I'd like to announce. <laughs> he's, just, he's just having fun at this point. Has Donald Trump picked his VP? I don't know. <laughs> he says he has, but has he? I don't know. Or is he just saying that because he knows that if he says that, that comment is going to get more play in the media than anything that was said at the official GOP primary debate, which certainly is the case. What's the viral clip from the GOP primary debate between Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley? There really isn't one. But a lot of people are talking about, oh, who is he going to pick for VP? And then he's having fun with it. Is it going to be, you know, I kind of like Christia. Already I like him more because he dropped out that loser. I hate him. No, no, I like him. What do you think? Should I pick him for VP? You think that's going to work? VP Chris. I, I don't know. I don't know about that. He's just, he's just up there joking around because he's that confident that he's going to get the nomination. And who knows, something crazy could happen. Maybe DeSantis pulls an upset in Iowa. Could happen. Even then. When was the last time Iowa picked the GOP nominee? It's George W. Bush, 20 years ago. And then what? Maybe Nikki Haley pulls an upset in New Hampshire. Maybe. Probably not, but maybe she does. And then what? And then what? It's just such an uphill battle. Now, speaking of Trump being the center of attention, uh, the Democrat Congress lady, Pramila Jayapal, is, is really honing in on the attack for Donald Trump. Assuming he's going to be the nominee, they're going to say this guy is an insurrectionist. He's a threat to the country, but they can't even say it with a straight face. Well, I appreciate the passion from my friend across the aisle and the outrage. I think we're all outraged about many things. But if we're going to talk about outrageous things that have happened or things that have never happened, let's talk about the fact that President Trump incited an erection. Uh, and <laughs> <laughs> maybe that, too. <laughs> yeah, you could talk about that, too, I guess. Maybe we should talk about that, too. The president incited an insurrection. Maybe we should talk about the fact that the president, the former president, was made. impeached twice. <laughs> Maybe we should talk about the fact that the former president was convicted on 91 felony counts. She can't stop laughing, even as she's saying this. And let's talk. No, no. <clears throat> Come on. Come on, Pramila. Get it together. Uh, even, you know, he... Uh, Tee-hee-hee. He was indicted on all these tee-hee-hee. Trump's erection. <laughs> they can't keep a straight face. And it's not just because of the Freudian slip there. They can't keep a straight face because it's preposterous. Because nobody thinks that Donald Trump is Jefferson Davis. Nobody thinks that he's going to lead a coup d'etat and overthrow the government. And everyone knows it's ridiculous. He's the tabloid real estate guy from the 80s. He's the host of the really popular network TV show, The Apprentice. He's the guy who has stakes in vodka and board games. He's not, he's Trump. Okay. He's the guy who was already president and left office peacefully and transferred. It's just none of it. 
No one believes it. They say it, the li- but the libs say a lot of things they don't believe. They say that a man is a woman, okay? They, 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 and they do their best to keep a straight face. When it comes to Trump, it's very difficult to keep a straight face. Now, one way they've tried to get Trump is they try to audit his companies. And uh, when you are facing tax problems, you got to check out Tax Network. Right now, go to TNUSA.com slash Knowles. Are you struggling with back taxes or have unfiled returns this year? The IRS is escalating collections by adding 20,000 new agents. In these challenging times, your best defense is to use Tax Network USA. With over 14 years of experience, Tax Network USA has saved their clients over $1 billion in back taxes. They specialize in negotiating with the IRS and aim to reduce your debt significantly. Tax Network USA does not just negotiate. They protect your assets from IRS seizures and manage your yearly returns for ongoing compliance. Importantly, they are licensed to help with all state tax issues, regardless of where you live in the U.S. Seize control of your financial future now, and don't let tax issues overpower you. Contact Tax Network USA for immediate relief and expert guidance. Call 1-800-245-6000 or visit tnusa.com slash Knowles. Letter T, letter N, USA.com slash Knowles. Turn to Tax Network USA and find your path to financial peace of mind. Speaking of shenanigans in Congress, Hunter Biden showed up. And this is great. Hunter Biden first showed up to the Capitol some weeks ago, but he wouldn't go in. He didn't want to actually testify. He just held a big press conference outside. This time he's gone in. He still won't go to the closed door testimony that he's required to do, but he shows up and he says he'll, he'll speak publicly. And the Republicans go after him in kind of strange ways. Chairman Comer, um, first of all, my first question is who brought Hunter Biden to be here today? That's my first question. Um, Second question, you are the epitome of white privilege, coming into the Oversight Committee, spitting in our face, ignoring a congressional subpoena to be deposed. What are you afraid of? You have no balls to come up here and... Mr. Chairman, point of inquiry. Mr. Chairman, um, if the, the lady if, if the general lady wants to hear from Hunter Biden, we can hear from him right now, Mr. Chairman. Let's take a vote and hear from I'm Hunter speaking. Biden. What are, are you afraid of? Hold on, hold on, hold on. Order, order, order. Are women allowed to speak in here or no? Are women allowed to speak in here? Did you keep interrupting me? I'll interrupt the chairman. I don't know that he's a lady. I think that that Hunter Biden should be arrested right here, right now, and go straight to jail. Our nation is founded on the rule of law. This is so depressing. It's so depressing because this is the Republican. This is the conservative. And she's got this opportunity to really go after Hunter Biden, the bag man for the Biden family, this guy who is the tip of the spear of Biden corruption. And the way she does it is by regurgitating a bunch of far left talking points. What are her attacks on Hunter Biden? Are her attacks that he's a derelict who behaves in a, in a vicious way, who's faced no consequences for his personal crimes, and that he is the representative of the major political crimes of his family, his father who peddled American influence all around the world and profited from it? Is that it? No. Her attack is, you're a white man. You white man, you have white privilege. Hunter Biden does not have white privilege. If Hunter Biden had white privilege, then when he applied to college, he would have been discriminated against by the admissions board. He would have lost, effectively lost points on his SAT score 
because of the color of his skin. If Hunter Biden had white privilege, he would have been excoriated. He would have been punished more harshly for transgressions. He hasn't been punished at all. He would have been regularly uh, reviled and insulted, not only as a a matter of of law, but even as a, a matter of social norms. Because white people are the only people in the country that you are permitted legally to discriminate against and also encouraged socially to discriminate against. Okay, white privilege. Are you kidding me? This is what we this is what we get for electing Republicans and conservatives. We get to hear invectives about the evil white man from Congress. Oh, great. With Republicans like this, who needs Democrats? And then when they rightly tell her, yo, lady, give it a rest. She says, are women not allowed to talk? So then she she flips. She she stops pushing the race hustling uh, phrases of the left, and she switches to the feminist phrases of the left. I'm a woman, and the men aren't letting me speak. Vote for Republicans so you can get more girl boss feminist talking points in Congress. Oh, oh, it's so, it's so pathetic. It's awful. It's awful. Ah, what a, what a, what a black pill, as the kids call it. This is this. And why is this happening? Because liberalism is the water in which we little fish swim. Liberalism is the air that we breathe. It's because we become so habituated to the language of the left that we internalize it. And it doesn't just lodge itself in some corner of our brain. It actually forms our consciousness in the way that we perceive the world. It's because if you can control words, you can control minds. As I point out in my number one best-selling book, Speechless Controlling Words, Controlling Minds, available now for, for order, even a couple of years after it was published. I, I think this is proof positive. It's just so, of all of the things to attack Hunter Biden for, being a white guy is pretty low on the list. And of all the reasons to complain about the way Congress operates, to say it's because we don't let women speak enough. Oh, good grief, lady. It's just awful. Now, Marjorie Taylor Greene had a better line of questioning against Hunter Biden, uh, so much so that he stormed out of the Capitol. Chair, recognize Ms. Green from Georgia for five minutes. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, excuse me, Hunter. Apparently, you're afraid of my words. Uh, here goes. <laughs> oh. I'd like to reclaim my time, Mr. Chairman. Wow, that's too bad. I think it's clear and obvious for everyone watching this hearing today that Hunter Biden is terrified of strong conservative Republican women because he can't even face my words as I was about to speak to him. What a coward. Even Marjorie, I don't want to knock her too much for this. Even Marjorie starts to take on these feminist talking points. And she is far and away the best Republican in this exchange. But even she, even you got Nancy Mace, who does the white men are evil and I'm a girl boss and women aren't heard and this is a patriarchy. And she even, she uses naughty language like, you know, I'm not a regular Congress lady. I'm a cool Congress lady. I'm going to use naughty, vulgar language that if a seventh grader used it in a classroom, he'd be yelled at. But me, I'm cool. So I'm going to break all norms of civility. Yeah, I'm cool. Doesn't that make me cool? 
I'm like, cool, like a liberal, but I'm a conservative, but I'm actually a liberal. And Marjorie Taylor Greene doesn't really engage in a lot of that. But even there at the end, he's afraid of strong women. No, he's afraid of going to prison and getting caught for being the bag man for the family and peddling American influence and making tens of millions of dollars. That's that's what he's afraid of. He's not afraid of women. That man, Hunter Biden, might be afraid of a lot of stuff. He ain't afraid of women. Have you looked at the tapes? Okay, we've seen the videotapes from the laptop. It's just so, ah, it's just so divorced from reality. And who does this work on? Who is this supposed to work on? Nobody really believes this stuff. We all march along and, and, and many people will, will spout off the talking points of white privilege and feminism and patriarchy, but it's, it's just because it's been drilled into our heads since we were in kindergarten. It doesn't actually stir men's souls or anything like that. It certainly doesn't persuade people on the right. Stop using the liberals' language. I'm, I'm actually lauding Marjorie Taylor Greene here. I, I think it was a good exchange, but guys, cut it out with the feminist, liberal, white privilege, blah, 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 claptrap. Just drop it. Good grief. The, the best exchange with Hunter was far and away, not with any of the members of Congress. It was, it was with a reporter who asked the question that was on all of our minds. Let me make a statement, okay? What kind of crack do you normally smoke, Mr. Biden? <laughs> This is how Hunter Biden should be dealt with on Capitol Hill, okay? Hunter Biden is showing up to Capitol Hill not to answer the legitimate questions of Congress, not to face consequences for his crimes that have been caught on tape for years and years and years, some of which are not just petty personal sexual crimes and drug crimes, but but actually pretty serious political crimes. He is there to try to win public sympathy He is there to make the case that he's actually a victim of a witch hunt. He's there to to move the polls. And so knowing that, understanding that that's what this is really about, the way to deal with Hunter Biden is to give as good as as he does, okay? The the way to deal with Hunter Biden is say, hey, hey man, what's your favorite kind of crack? Huh? Oh, you think that's an unfair question? Then come over here and answer my fair questions. Hey, we're all just jokers here today, right? No one's actually going to be undertaking a serious congressional proceeding. So, I, yeah, what's your who, what's your favorite kind of hooker, Hunter? What do you what, What's your favorite form of currency? <laughs> do you like? Are you a big fan? Do you like the Chinese currency or the Ukrainian currency more? Because you made millions of both. So, what which what do you like? What's your favorite? Oh, you okay? You didn't? Well, then let's talk. Let's go into your financial disclosures. Let's go into all the shell corporations. Let's go into your business associates meeting with your father when he was vice president of the United States. Let's go into your father being on 20 plus phone calls with the, with the businessmen you were shaking down all around the world. Oh no, we're not going to do that. Okay. Well, what, what's your, how long do you like the crack pipes to be? Do you like them to be two inches or four inches? Love it. Absolutely great. Hilarious exchange. And it precisely the degree of seriousness that that proceeding merits. Now, speaking of legislative bodies, Big news for international relations. Uh, The San Francisco Board of Supervisors has just voted eight to three in favor of a ceasefire resolution for Gaza. Um, Following this vote, a bunch of pro-Palestine white ladies uh, cheered and danced and chanted in the auditorium. These middle-aged lesbians are wearing 
Palestinian kefias. It's so perfect. I just, I love the whole thing. It's so great. If Hamas had its druthers, it would nuke the entire city of San Francisco. <laughs> and there are these people, woo, free, free Palestine. Yeah, that's right, Muhammad. We're with you. We're with you. <laughs> it's, it's, but the, that's not even the most ridiculous part. The most ridiculous part is that the San Francisco Board of Supervisors thinks it has any say over a millennia-long ethnic conflict on the other side of the world. When, when is the Hamas Board of Supervisors going to weigh in on the needle exchange programs in San Francisco? When can we expect that vote to take place? The, there are problems in San Francisco. The people of San Francisco elect their representatives ostensibly to solve the, the problems of the city of San Francisco. And they won't solve any of those problems. The problems are all getting much, much worse and people are dying and they're not able to find housing and the whole city is completely fallen to pot. It used to be one of the great cities in America. Now it is just a sewer. And the San Francisco Board of Supervisors, rather than do the difficult work of actually running their city and trying to make things better and just demonstrating basic competence of public servants, they, they can't, they actually can't do that. So they spend their time in academic debates over uh, what should happen in conflicts that they don't understand at all in places that they probably couldn't even point to on a map. It's perfect. It just explains, it, it highlights so much the state of American politics. We are all just living in a fantasy world, while the real world around us that we totally neglect falls to pot. Now, there is a big shift happening in foreign affairs. You might actually call it an insurrection. But in this case, it's an insurrection that the liberals all around the world are cheering on, which we will get to in one second. First, though, it's no question. We're living in that clown world, man. The characters in power are straight out of a carnival. Basic notions of right and wrong, justice, truth, even reality itself have been thrown out the window. How are we to make sense of it? Join Jonathan Peugeot in the new four-part series, End of the World, as he explains why the world as we know it is ending, how to survive it, and how we can plant the seeds for the next world today. Jonathan Peugeot is an iconographer, public speaker, YouTuber, and good friend of Jordan Peterson. You might remember Jonathan from Jordan's series on Exodus. Now he's back and will draw upon his deep knowledge of Christian tradition, stories, mythology, and history to explain the contradictions in our society, wacky phenomena, and how this pattern will reach its conclusion. In End of the World, you will receive a thoughtful framework to make sense of these confusing times and a roadmap to lead us out of the clown world and to restore order. All episodes are available now exclusively on Daily Wire Plus. If you have not become a member, this is the perfect time. Go to dailywire.com slash subscribe. Unmask the carnies. Let's see beyond the end. Watch End of the World today. My favorite comment yesterday is from Jim Lubke, who says, every single person who got more of a punishment than a year of probation without limits of travel needs to make their appeal now to get their sentence reduced. It's true. The horn hat guy from January 6th was thrown in the clink in, in solitary, I believe, for part of it, for 41 months. Years on end. And yet Ray Epps, who appears to have instigated the invasion of the Capitol, he gets nothing. A year probation. Never sees the inside of a jail cell. That's weird. I think all those guys should appeal. They should sue. They should, at the very least, point out the absolute farce of the prosecution of Ray Epps 
who's definitely not a Fed. (laughs) I'm sure three people in America still believe. Turning to insurrections on other parts of the world, there is a coup d'etat occurring right now in Poland. Here's the headline. This is out of Politico, the European edition of Politico. Police, Polish police arrest members of parliament as Tusk versus Duda rule of law battle heats up. So this is a rule of law battle, according to Politico, between the prime minister and the president. Poland's new government faces a huge struggle to unravel eight years of rule by the nationalist PIS party. So there was a right-wing government in Poland, and then the left-wing government takes power. And what do they do? Immediately what they do is they disband the public media. They suppress the media. This, if it were to have happened under a right-wing government, you would hear calls for UN peacekeepers to show up. You you would hear that this was the total dismantling of democracy in the country. In fact, that's what you did hear when Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban instituted relatively modest reforms of the press in Hungary. Happens in Poland, they just disband the entire public media. And and what do the liberal press do? Do they say, this is a threat to democracy? No, you know what? They, They cheer it. They say, oh, this is so good. This is a restoration of democracy. Then the piece goes on. Now you've got cops invading the presidential palace to arrest members of parliament. That's bad. That's a coup d'etat, isn't it? Well, not according to Politico. In a dramatic escalation of Poland's battle to restore rule of law, the police entered the country's presidential palace on Tuesday evening and took two members of parliament into custody who had been hiding under the protection of President Andrzej Duda after being sentenced to prison for terms for abuses of power. This is the the battle to restore rule of law. And the way that we're going to restore rule of law is we're going to ban the press and we're going to invade the presidential palace and we're going to arrest members of parliament. That's how we're going to, does that sound like restoring rule of law? Doesn't to me, it sounds like totally upending the rule of law. But this is because one man's insurrectionist is another man's defender of democracy. You know that phrase, the libs always say, they say, one man's freedom fighter is another man's terrorist. And they, they say this to blur the distinction between terrorists and freedom fighters, to say, well, from, from our perspective, you know, these jihadis in the Middle East, they're terrorists. But from their perspective, they're freedom fighters. But as with the libs always trying to blur distinctions, distinctions between men and women, distinctions between one country and another country, uh, it's just totally bogus because terrorism has a meaning. Terrorism is defined in large part by uh, whether or not you target civilians to achieve political ends. That's a really basic definition of terrorism. And you can measure that. You can say, are people targeting civilians to achieve political ends? Okay, well, that would be an act of terrorism. Same here. Is a government um, contradicting what the people want, what the people express? Is the government uh, upending established norms and traditions and even laws? If so, that's not very democratic, is it? You know, in Colorado, they say that to defend democracy, we need to prevent the people from voting for Donald Trump, who's the single most popular candidate in the presidential race. That just can't be true. It's only true if you you redefine democracy to be deprived of all of its meaning. It's a reminder. I'm, I'm not just here... Uh, complaining about what's going on in Eastern Europe without effect. I know that that 
whatever we say about this is not going to affect what happens and the way that there is a coup d'etat in, in Poland. But it's just a reminder. You're going to hear a lot about insurrections and coup d'etat and blah, blah, blah for the next 12 months. You got to try to pull yourself out of that bubble. You got to try to pull yourself out of the fish tank, you know, the, the water in which we little fishies are swimming. You got to, you've got to try to get some perspective here and recognize that the media are not neutral, that the system of laws in our civil government, they're not eternal. They're changing. They're always kind of changing. Jurisprudence, the way that we interpret the law, that's changing a lot too. The language that we use, it's not totally objective and it's not eternal. It's constantly being manipulated to, to scramble up our brains and to change the way that we perceive the world. And when they huff and puff and scream and they say, all the, anyone who supports the conservative candidate, they're just upending democracy. I might, listen, I might not be a Republican, but I want there to be a strong Republican party in this country. Just not that kind of Republican, not the kind of Republican. It's just bogus. It's just manipulative nonsense. And we've got to be able to see that and stand firm. And, and if we're at the point right now where the Republican, the conservative members of Congress are just blindly belching up left-wing talking points, they, don't, they have no idea even what they're saying. And it's going to be very, very difficult to gain that kind of perspective and to fight back. Speaking of our rights, the All Souls Choir has an important song uh, for your religious edification and your political edification, borrowing words from Stacey Abrams, Melissa Dunphy, and Ida B. Wells, coming to a leftist church community near you. Take it away. The last one's true. Your rights actually do depend on whether or not you've been convicted of certain crimes. And if you have, then you do actually forfeit some rights. Yeah. And if your ID will generally match your gender, something would have had to go seriously wrong for, you know, your big husky Hank shows up to the ID place and they list you as a woman on your ID. That, all rights depend. Uh, This is being sung by the All Souls Choir because there is always a relation between church and state. There's always a relation between the political order and religion. It's an, old, it's an older clip. This clip is from, I think, a year ago, maybe even a little bit more than a year ago. Expect more of this. Expect, forget about this being sung in some room and going viral on Twitter. There are going to be, couldn't you just see the military parades going by in the new rainbow regime 
where you've got the, the dictator, some kind of androgynous dictator, just standing there upright, making some weirdo salute, and then just rainbow tanks go by and you, all right, steep and shun, 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 because all politics ultimately is theological. And uh, this, this kind of propaganda seeps in everywhere. You know, we, we make fun of the North Korean crazy communist regime for brainwashing people and the people behaving in this totally bizarre way. Conservative members of Congress screaming, furious about white privilege and girl bosses not being able to speak enough. <laughs> I wonder how, how's the brainwashing going here? Hmm, how's the re, how's the regime change going here? Maybe maybe a coup d'état really has taken place. I don't think it was the horn hat guy that led it though. The rest of the show continues now. You don't want to miss it. Become a member. Use code Knowles, K N W L E S at checkout for two months free on all annual plans. 